Hi everyone, I'm Ashley Hasty, and this is my first episode as co-host of the Best of Women's Fiction podcast with Lainey Cameron. I'm a book blogger at hastybooklist.com, a college fashion and marketing instructor, and an aspiring author working on a historical fiction manuscript. In this episode, Fiona Davis and I chat about her new release, The Magnolia Palace, a book about the secrets, betrayal, and murder within one of New York City's most impressive Gilded Age mansions known today as the Brick Collection. Welcome everyone, I'm here with Fiona Davis and we are here to talk about her latest novel, The Magnolia Palace. I asked Fiona to be my first interview for this podcast because I've had the opportunity to interview her several times over the years, both virtually and in person. I knew she would be a fun and safe way to dive into the world of book podcasting. So Fiona, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Yes, we go way back, which is really, really nice for both of us. You know, I've been a longtime fan of yours ever since I read your first novel, The Dull House, which prompted me to connect with you on Instagram. But it seems each book you write is better than the last, and The Magnolia Palace is my new favorite. So will you start by telling our listeners about what the book is about? Sure. Oh, thank you so much. So yeah, this is my sixth book. I can't believe it. And what it is, it's set at the Frick Collection, which is a a museum in New York City on Fifth Avenue in two time periods. In 1919, it's from the point of view of an artist model named Lillian, who's the celebrated artist model, poses for all the big sculptors in in New York City. And to escape, she ends up um, getting the job as the private secretary to Helen Clay Frick at the Frick Mansion. which is a job that she's not quite all that suited to, but it gives her a way to hide out from the police. (laughs) Um, And so she gets very caught up in the family's drama, including romantic trysts, as well as a stolen pink diamond known as the Magnolia Diamond. And then the other time period, because it's a dual timeline book, is 1966. And that's from the point of view of a, a model, a fashion model named Veronica, who's doing a Vogue photo shoot at the Frick which goes terribly wrong. And she gets locked inside and stuck there during a three-day blizzard along with an intern named Joshua. And Veronica stumbles in, onto a series of hidden clues in the mansion, and, which is now a museum. And she gets drawn into this scavenger hunt that she and Joshua try to solve. And for her, it's a way to possibly take care of all of her financial woes. And it also might reveal the truth behind a decades-old murder in the Frick family. So what struck me about the Magnolia Palace in comparison to your previous novels is the number of real life characters. So in your previous novels, you had characters that may have been inspired by real people, but ultimately they were the product of your imagination, much like the character of Lillian in this book was loosely inspired by. So I'm curious, can you talk about the difference in your writing and or research when writing about real people versus characters that are loosely inspired by real people or complete figments of your imagination? I normally don't deal with real people, even if they're, they're long, they've been long dead. But the Frick family, I, I just couldn't pass up because they were so interesting. It was three of them, the, the patriarch, Henry Clay Frick, his sickly wife, Adelaide, and then his adult daughter, Helen Frick, who was very imperious and quite prickly. 
And they just had such strong personalities that I really wanted to see if I can incorporate some of the real things that happened in their lives into, into this novel. And then at the, uh, you know, in the author's note, I make it very clear what is fiction, what is fact. But yeah, you know, they were just so interesting. Um, Henry Clay Frick made his first million by the age of 30 in the 1800s. He, you know, they lived in, in Pennsylvania, but eventually moved to New York in 1914 is when they moved into the Frick Mansion, which he had built specially because he was a huge art collector. And so it, it's just filled with all of his artworks. When he died in 1919, he, he left the, the building and all the art to the city. And the, the artwork is worth $40 million at that time, back then. That's how much art was in, on his walls. And then Helen was this really interesting, imperious character. She never married. She was described in a, a 1939 New Yorker article as a woman of extremely robust prejudices. And there's things like, you know, if, if her friends bobbed their hair, she would drop them. Um, she, she wore a pompadour and a bun mm -hmm. her, her entire adult life. You know, she, she could be really, really difficult. But at the same time, she did all of these amazing things like she went to World War One um, with a, a Red Cross unit that she created and founded and went over there um, in 1917 at the height of the war when it was so dangerous. She founded a, a, a home for working girls, a vacation home, where working girls in factories and mills in Massachusetts could come and can rest and relax. You know, she, she was just this woman of contradictions, and, and I had to include her. And again, it's a matter of, of staying true to her who I think she was, and, and she was a, I, I adore her. <laughs> and then explaining very clearly in the author's note what's true and what's not. I loved that you included her. I thought she was a very complex character, and you can't help but love her. I mean, she has so many flaws, so many flaws, and yet she's still oddly likable. What do you think it is about her that... You know, she's interesting because she, she really lived under her father's shadow and she wanted so badly to please him. There was a terrible tragedy in the family when she was a very, very young girl. And because of that, I think she felt the need to sustain the family and to keep everybody okay. Her mother was sick. Her father, you know, had a temper and she wanted to please everyone and make sure everything worked out okay. And so in many ways, she was she really kind of pushed aside her own needs in order to take care of them. But at the same time, because she was so wealthy, she kind of had no idea as to how the, the world works in many ways. And so could be quite imperious, I think is the, the best way to describe her. And so, yeah, I, I'm just so fond of her. I'm glad you are too. So I'm curious, why make Lillian a fictional character and not use the person who inspired the story? Because there are many parallels between the two. There really are. And Audrey Munson, who Lillian is inspired in, as you mentioned, was this celebrated supermodel of the early 1900s. Everyone sculpted her. Her figure is all over New York City at the, the fountain in front of the Plaza Hotel, at Columbus Circle, the Fireman's Memorial, Brooklyn Museum, the New York Public Library. She is everywhere. And yet no one knows her name right? No one really knows who this woman is. And she had a, a very scandalous life, but her story was really quite tragic. She tried to commit suicide in 1922 by swallowing mercury. And then she eventually was committed to an asylum and she died there, get this, in 1996 at the age of 104. Oh my gosh. She lived that long. And, but because that was the chunk of her life, I couldn't name this character her and then have her 
you know, because I, I deal with mysteries and plot twists, I needed my artist's model to have a different kind of life. And we won't give anything away. <laughs> I did love that ending better than her real ending. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. So, so again, it's making it clear in the author's note, but but this character, Lillian, is very different from her, her. The start of her life is very similar to Audrey Munson's, but the continuance of it is not. And also, Helen Clay Frick and Audrey Munson, as far as I know, never met. And part of my wanting to bring them together was they were so different. There was this, you know, artist's model who was this free spirit and then this very tightly wound up rich heiress. And so I just thought, you know, let, let's bring them together and just see what happens on the page. Most of your fans know that each one of your novels is centered around an historical building in New York City. Previous novels took place at the Barbizon Hotel for Women, the Dakota Grand Central Terminal, the iconic Chelsea Hotel, the New York Public Library, and of course the Magnolia Palace is set at the Frick Mansion. So I imagine you've been on more historic building tours in New York City than anyone else. How do you decide which buildings you want to write about and what sparked the idea of setting a novel at the Frick Mansion? Yeah, you know, the Frick was an unusual choice because it's not as well known as the other places I've chosen, like Grand Central mm -hmm. Terminal or the New York Public Library. Um, you know, not a lot of people know it, if, but if you've gone there, it's your favorite museum. Mm -hmm. It's just this gem, you know, it's on Fifth Avenue, so it's just down the street from the Guggenheim and the Met. But the, the mansion is actually quite small for a, a mansion that was built at that time. It's as if the family has just slept for a dinner party and they might be back at any second. And so it really is like stepping back in time. And I love the fact that it had been a, a, a residence and then a museum and to be able to explore, you know, how that, how the museum changed over time, how the building changed over time and how the way we view art and artwork has changed over time. So I want you to think back to when you were writing your first manuscript. How many years ago would that have been? Six, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you'd known then? Or what advice do you have for authors and aspiring authors? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I think it is how important it is to create a community as you're writing, because it is such a solitary experience. You're researching, you're at your desk, you're, you know, you might go out and interview someone, but that's the big, you know, highlight of the day. You're alone a lot. And it turns out in New York City, there is this amazing community of writers and we all get together, especially before COVID, but even now we, you know, try and Skype or, or Zoom and get together. And so you've created this community of authors who are going through the same thing you are. And if, you know, they're kind of ahead of the game, so they've, you know, done this or that or published here, you, you can learn from them. And then if someone's just up and coming, you can say, hey, this is how I did it. And this work worked for me. And it becomes this wonderful well of, of, of information and, and just laughter. It's, it's a really wonderful group. So I think I, you know, I, I was just surprised at how welcoming and, and terrific the women's fiction community here in New York is. Yes, absolutely. I've had the same experience with, well, starting with you, then all of the authors I've had the opportunity to meet through the blog and now the podcast, they really do make the best group of friends. So I first started following you on Instagram six years ago, probably, because you had the best historical fiction recommendations. As soon as you posted about a book, I put it in my shopping cart. So I always like to ask about your reading world. What are you reading right now? What would you recommend that we read? 
Yeah, yeah. There's there's a number of things now and coming out that, that I just love. Jillian Cantor's new book, which comes out February 1st, Beautiful Little Fools, mm-hmm. is just a wonderful about friendship. It's wonderful. And I have to ask, can you tell us anything about your work in progress, which building you're focusing on or the time period will be set in anything? Sure. Well, there's a couple things coming down the pike. Um, I did a, a short story that'll be on Audible and as a short for... Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. And that's from the point of view of a rocket in the 1950s. So yeah. We'll see Gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> we have to wait a whole year for that one. I know. I know. I have to, I got to write it. It's sitting right there. <laughs> So I want to share where people can find you. Your website is FionaDavisBooks.com. You're also Fiona Davis Books on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. You're Fiona Davis author. So before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't covered yet? No, I think you you covered so much. I, I'm doing a number of events around this book where I'll be talking in depth about the research. You can find all of those on my on the events page of my website. And I'm just so so excited it. Very excited to launch it into the world. Well, Fiona, it was such a pleasure chatting with you again today. I always love hanging out with you. I wish it could be in person one of these days again. It's been far too long, but thank you for making my first episode on this podcast. Such a fun one. Oh, it's my pleasure anytime. Thanks, <laughs> Ashley. For links to the books mentioned in this episode, the author's social media, and more, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. You can also see the video version of this same episode. I'd love it if you followed me, Ashley Hasty, on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast right here. And if you enjoy it, please share with friends. 